Hallelujah. All righty. Well, let's jump right in where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about a confident repentance. And uh, I had a, you know, everybody doesn't agree. Everybody says, well, you know, we're under grace. Grace never, ever allows sin to separate you from God again. Amen. Amen. And grace never, ever condones the works of the flesh, nor does it support them, nor does it invite them into your life. Amen. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Sin is forbidden to those that have experienced grace. We should never go back and eat of the vomit, go back and get in the wallow. And uh, usually people that have that attitude are the people that are knee-deep in sin and they know it, and they just don't want to get out of it. And so, if you're here tonight, I warn you, if you're in sin, you are the subject of tonight's message. So, you know, you don't have to make a big ado. Pretend like you're going to the bathroom, and I will understand. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, if we could have that scripture on the screen, Genesis 6, 1 through 4. I'm talking about when does God withdraw his spirit? And it says this, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they choose. Now here... It says that there is a union of marriage, a union of marriage, not just a sexual encounter, a union of marriage. All right, Uh, next verse. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, and his days shall be in 120 years. All right. And I said verse 4, but we won't read it. So here we see that there is a time that God's Spirit shall not always strive with people. There is a time that God disconnects His presence from believers and non-believers. Now, we talked about that, that last week, and we talked about perpetual sin. We talked about when people do sin and then repeatedly fall back into it. Even though they are repenting and claiming 1 John 1, 9. Could I have 1 John 1, 7 up there? And we're going to read down through. And now most people say, well, you know, I've repented, so I'm free of that. But if you return to it, not just once, not twice, but three or four times, then what you are doing is you are creating a lifestyle that invites something other than the spirit of holiness. Now, it says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Well, notice what it says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk in the nature of God that is reflected to us, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ, Son, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Next verse. 
But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Next verse. And if we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, when it talks about us having no sin, it doesn't mean that we are always constantly reminded of our sins, our shortcomings, and things of that nature. What it means is if fellowship is broken, it is never on God's behalf. It is up on the transgressor of the perpetrator of sin. That's who it's on. It's never on God. God never separates himself from men that are striving and seeking him. Amen? Because when you seek him, you will find him. That's God's covenant. But what we need to realize is that we need to confess our sins. And when we confess our sins, we are to have works that proclaim and verify that repentance. Remember when John the Baptist was at the shores of Galilee? He said, look, or the shores of Jordan? He said, they said, what must we do now? He said, if you've repented, you go and you make sure that you bring forth works meant for repentance. You know what? Do your job and don't require any more than you're supposed to require. Then treat people fairly. If you have two coats, give your brother one. Do something that shows them that you no longer are worldly-centered, self-minded, but now you are God-centered and kingdom-minded. So when we say, well, you know, I confessed it. Well, if you just say you're sorry and you go back to it, there has been no repentance. Amen. Oh, but I did repent. You're a liar. I'm just telling you right now, you're, you're not telling the truth. Wake up, wake up, wake up. If you go back to the sin that you've just repented of, not once or twice, but multiple times, you've never had true repentance take place in your life. And so, what does that mean? That means that you have to invoke 2 Corinthians. If we'll go to 2 Corinthians 7.10, remember I'm just talking about a confident repentance, a repentance that you can be assured and be confident that it's taken place and it has changed you. Amen. For godly sorrow, conviction, or the urge to repent, worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh what death so one worldly sorrow without conviction without a deep sorrow for your sin now the question would be how could sinners perpetually do what they're doing and not be sorry for what they did it didn't start the first time you did it. See, this type of repentance, this type of attitude is a red flag to the danger of the hardness of your heart. It is the danger of the hardness of your heart that even when conviction would come, you would be unaware, dull of it, or even resistant to it. And believe me, people can get that way. But here it says that if we have godly sorrow, now how do we get godly sorrow? I'm quickly going to go over it. 
Where does conviction come from? Half a thank you. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. Now, it does in one sense, in that he brings the Scripture back to remembrance. But the law was added because of transgression, not the Holy Ghost. And sin is not rebellion against the Holy Ghost or rejection of the Holy Ghost. Sin is the transgression of the law. The law was added because of man's transgressions. And you can find that in Galatians 3, 26 on down. And it was our schoolmaster. In other words, it revealed to us sin. Without the law, there is no sin. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 12 through 16, says that where there is no law, there is no sin. Nobody knows you have sin. Nobody can be convicted of sin except by the law. So if we continue to fall into the same old, same old sin, and about this time, those that are in it get angry. Get angry as you want, but I'm not relenting, and I'm not condoning, and I'm not surrendering to sinful lifestyles that are not acceptable to God. I'm not going to do it. Now, thank you for the six claps. Hallelujah. Those were the old Methodists. Hallelujah. We're recycling them. Now, look, what we have to understand is when we can commit sin and it doesn't bother us, this tells us of the depth of the darkness of our human spirit. Understand. God will enlighten or God will ignite the heart or the spirit of man. But if the darkness is so dark in your heart that when the candle goes to be lit, that it automatically goes out, see, that is a surrendered decision that you have made that you're going to live in sin no matter what God chooses to do. Now, this is hardness of heart. Oh, it's grace. You're a fool. It has nothing to do with grace. Grace never condones separation from God, and that's just what sin does. It separates you from God. It did it in the beginning, and it'll do it now. When did we ever think that sin changed its nature? It's still filled with death. It still separates from God, and it still takes people to hell. Amen. Sin is not your friend. Come on. Hallelujah. Why would we even think such a thing? Now, when we get our conscience hardened or seared, as it were, because of our ongoing sin and repetitive rejection of the Holy Ghost, then we understand that this hardness of heart then wounds our conscience. See, when you are in sin and you don't truly repent of it, you may think that you can get it out of your mind, but you can't get the effects of it out of your life. And it being in your life means that if you don't get your conscience cleansed, that you are going to have a faith that constantly falters. Amen. Yeah. Let's go to Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 10, 19, and we'll read through 23. Hallelujah. And it says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. Now, people that have sin in their life don't have boldness. 
Well, they may have boldness to pray, but they won't have results. I'll just tell you that right now. And it says, by a new and living way, which he, Christ, hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that is he, for he is faithful that promise. Now, how do we have boldness of faith? We have to keep our conscience cleansed from evil influence. We cannot let sin be hidden or not truly repented of. Please, this is so important. The church today doesn't understand falling upon the rock. The church today doesn't understand half of the time of sanctification. They don't understand sacrifice. They don't understand giving of themselves because we raise them in a take all you can get, use God. This is the only time we use our faith is when we want something from God, but we never use our faith to prepare to die to meet God. And by that, I mean we don't use faith to cleanse ourselves, to sanctify ourselves, to keep our uh, uh, vessels filled with oil, to keep ourselves spotless from the world. We use our faith to get everything that the world wants to say that we are blessed. Listen, you're not going to be blessed if you end up being here after Jesus comes. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And again, I think that that's a part of the headship of the church. And I think that part of it is, is guilty. Be, I'm guilty because people want just gratification and quick answers. Listen, you want real gratification, you want real answers? Devote your life to God and consume nothing but Him. And you'll have a life filled with gratification and satisfaction. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, so when we don't have faith, here's what happens. Nothing else is built into our life. Go to uh, 1 Peter 1.5. If you don't have faith, if you don't have a boldness of faith, a strong faith, maturity will never come. Who are kept by the power of God. Boy, there's a good, wow. There's, hey, I might as well preach on that for a moment. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. You know that there is no resisting power to those that have tainted consciences. Because in the deep regions of your conscience, you'll think you deserve what you get. Yeah. And it says this, faith unto salvation ready to be reserved, revealed in the last time. Wherefore, ye greatly rejoice that though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through the manifold temptations. And that the trying of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold and that perishes, though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having not seen, ye, believe, ye love, in whom though now ye see him, not ye believe, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm headed someplace, and I think that this is just the wrong verse. 
let's go to 2 Peter 1.5. Philip, this better be right. You gave me these notes right before the service. And it says this, receive the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Next verse. You lost it. You ought to feel me. I, I think I've... And besides this... Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for Second Peter 1, 5. And hallelujah. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your... What if you don't have it? What if it has eroded because of an evil conscience? You can't add something to something that does not exist. Virtue. Now, guess what? You'll have no virtue. And then to virtue, you add knowledge. You won't have any more knowledge than when you decide not to live a holy life. And then to knowledge, temperance. You'll have no self-control. And to temperance, patience, no steadfastness. And to patience, godliness, godly character. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Think, all of those things are going to be missing from our lives if we don't make sure that we have sincerely repented. Now, I'm not talking about people that come and say, Now, God, look, I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. I, I just turned from right now. I repent. And you go and, you know, you're, you're just fighting the fight of faith and you're not returning to those things. You might fall back into it and so forth. But you don't continually do it five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Pretty soon you look out and say, look, I need somebody to help bear my burden. Praise God. Hallelujah. This thing is bigger than I am. Amen. Amen. That's where we solicit the help. Of our brother, that we can brothers, that we confess our weaknesses one to another, and then they can be lifted up. That we pray one for another, that they be healed and uh, made whole. All right. So now we talked uh, last week that uh, one of the reasons that God departs from people is uh, lack of judgment. Let's go to First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through thirty-two. A lack of judgment. The Bible says in Proverbs that in the tillage or in the planting, in the working of the poor, there is much tillage or much harvest. But because there is a lack of judgment, it is always plundered. And we have to make sure that we judge all things. 1 Corinthians 2.15, he that is spiritual judges all things. It is immature not to judge what you're doing. It's immature to just let your life go every day and not examine it. And then we have Matthew 7, 7, that we are to judge ourselves. And if we find an eye that is offensive to us, pluck the eye out. Why? Because eternity is more valuable to you than what your members can do for you. Amen. Amen? And 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen it says, But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the church of God. Did I say 1 Corinthians 16? 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, I want... Oh, verse 27. I'm telling you, you got to watch it. Who is in charge of that screen? <laughs> All right, there you go. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. Next verse. 
Let, but let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be uh, condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Okay, so here he, it tells us, even in the Lord's Supper, that we are to judge ourselves. The reason we judge ourselves now is so that we can be convicted of God, so that we can repent sincerely, be confident that we have turned from it. It doesn't become a repeat, repetitive matter and that we won't be judged with the world. What is the judgment of the world? It is not to get to heaven. <laughs> Amen. The judgment of the world comes when Jesus returns and at the end of the, uh, the beginning of the reign of a thousand years where they are judged out of the books. Uh, Revelation, the 20th chapter. And then the, uh, one of the reasons that God does not or dwell with man or depart is because of wickedness. Let's go to Hosea 9, 8 through 17. Hosea. Hallelujah. And it says, The watchman of Ephraim was with my God. But the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hated in the house of his God. And they have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Geboah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquities. He will visit their sins. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as first stripes in the fig tree at her first time, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto their shame. And their abominations were according as they loved. Next verse. For Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Next verse. And though they bring up the children, yet will I bereave them, there, that there shall not be a man left, yea, woe unto all them whom I depart from them. Notice that I depart from them. Now, Ephraim, as though I saw a tri, is plant, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his child to the murderer. Oh, give, give them, O oh Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. And their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them, for the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more, all their princes and revolters. Ephraim is smitten, their root is dried, 
they shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay every, slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. My God shall cast or will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him. They shall be wanderings among the nations. Why did God withdraw himself from Ephraim and curse them? Because of their wickedness. Because of their wickedness. Well, well, what's wickedness? Doing wrong. Doing wrong. You may not always know everything by the will of God, but you do know it, or by the word of God, but you do know it by the character of God that is interwoven with his word. In other words, if you know that God does good, you don't have to have a scripture. You need to do good. Amen? If you see, I'm now, I wouldn't tell everybody to do this, but I don't want people handing, handling my trash. I don't, people say, well, here, I'll take that and throw it away. Say, no, no, I, I don't want you to touch my trash. It's just me. I don't think that God gives me trash, and I don't want to hand my trash off to other people. That's me. That's me. And so we have to make sure that we don't do wickedness, things that are opposed to God's nature and God's character, the reflectiveness of God to humanity. We don't want to not do those things. Cutting somebody off, getting mad in the uh, uh, driving lane. Some one, I was with a young kid yesterday, and the young kid said, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to show people the way to heaven. And I thought to myself, like, I thought your mom and dad was a Christian. And uh, I'm sure that they are. It's just that somebody's talking like that and somebody's doing that for him to know that. Go to get an amen. Uh, you know, I don't think the young man was bright enough to come up with that by himself. Hallelujah. Uh, but wickedness. People do, when you see something and you could make it right, you could help somebody in what you're doing and so forth. You, know what? you ought to do it. Not to do it is wickedness. All right. So we don't want to do wickedness because what's going to happen is God will depart from such people that don't re- represent himself the way that he wants to be re- represented in your life. Now, another one is, let's quickly go to uh, Isaiah 19 through 20. This is obedience and disobedience. God doesn't hang around with disobedience people. And it says, And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a Savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. Next verse. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall be known to the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifice and obliation. Is that how you pronounce it? Obliation. Obliation. Okay. Oblio. Hallelujah. Amigo. Mount up. Hallelujah. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. And the Lord shall smite Egypt, and he shall smite and heal it, and they shall return even the Lord, and he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. Now, I wanted Isaiah 119. Did I say 19? I did not. Philip sighed with me. What would you turn to, Bob? Isaiah 19. 
Why don't you guys listen? I spake and they heard me not. And it says, then if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Hallelujah. But if you refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Somebody say obedience. We remember the story of a man named Saul. Let's go to 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 30. Well, I know that story. I know it. I just want to repeat it. Hallelujah. 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 30. Watch this. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And the rebellious is of rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. Stubbornness is the same as rebellion, not doing what God tells you to do, and is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now, what causes God to depart from men? Rebellion. Rebellion. When we depart, from rebellion and the rest of it goes on down and talks about no i did what god told me to do look you doing what god told you to do in your eyes is not doing what god told you to do in his eyes do it all amen dot every t cross every t all right then let's go to first samuel 6 14 first samuel 6 14 and you can read this uh, whole story about saul and get it and it says and the cart came into the field of joshua No, no, 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, 14. Did I say six? Philip, stop it. You get on that side right now. I'm telling you what. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Notice that the Spirit of God came upon Samuel in the 10th chapter of 1 Samuel, and he prophesied and became another man. But now the same Spirit that fell upon him has departed from him, and an evil spirit from the Lord came and troubled him. Now the Spirit of the Lord has departed from him. Now if you do what Saul did, you're going to get Saul results. Now 1 Samuel 18 and verse 10. And it says, and it came to pass on the morrow, 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 tomorrow, yesterday, is coming to pass. That the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand at, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hands. Next verse. And Saul cast a javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Next verse. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Now, Saul even knew he was gone. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel 19 and verse 9. 
There you go. Man, this is quick. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. As he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. Next verse. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So here Saul does all this stuff because of an evil spirit, because the Spirit of God has left Saul. We need to be careful, and one of the recognitions is that when we realize that we're doing things that are evil, even jealousy, wanting God not to be upon other people's lives and blessing them, it may have to do with the Spirit that has entered in because of the absence of God's, God's Spirit. All right. Uh, 1 Samuel 28, 16 through 17. Hallelujah, disobedience. And then said Samuel, Wherefore thou dost ask me, seeing that the Lord departed from thee and is become thine enemy. And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Now, that be, happened because of rebellion. Amen? Now, let's do one more. Let's go to Acts, the uh, seventh chapter, and verse 51. Acts 7, 51. Now, in Acts 5 32, the Bible says, God gives the Holy Ghost to them that obey him. So, the thought would be that he doesn't give it to them that don't. And it says this. Here's Stephen talking to them. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it? Now we have that they are stiff-necked, they are rebellious, they resist God, they withstand God, they do not do his word, and guess what? They have been rejected of God. In verse 54, it says this. When they heard these words were cut to the heart. What do you think they were cut to the heart for? Conviction. They were convicted of God. And what did they do? They attacked the mouthpiece of the Lord. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Wow. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfast into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Next verse. And behold, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And cast, them, cast him out of the city, stoned him, 
And the witness laid, witnesses laid their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, later to become our brother Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. They were stiff-necked. They were resistors of the Holy Ghost. Why? They disobeyed God. What happened? They became rebellious. They re you have received the word of God and have not kept it. What part of not keeping it sealed their stubbornness, their stiff-neckedness? Really, you can't separate the first time from the last time because it took every time. One was a start, one was a finish. The first time they did it, they set in motion a result that had already been prophesied of God. If you do this stuff, I will depart from you. So we need to be obedient. We need to make sure that our lives are clean before God. We need to strive to be holy. We need to strive to be what God asks us to be. Now, people would say, well, well, man, you can never arrive to that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And even if you don't reach the end, strive for it as if everything depended upon it. Amen. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Does God always strive with man? No. God will depart from people that do not do what he asked them to do or that become rebellious to his planner's purpose. We as Christians don't want that to happen. Amen? I want the Holy... Where would we be without the Holy Ghost? Where would we be? Praise God. Hallelujah. Stand your feet and let's pray. Well, wait, wait. No, no. Stay, stay on your rear end and let's ask a question. Uh, if, who here has a question on what we've been talking about? Oh, right there. Hallelujah. Good deal. Was it you? Okay, when you were preaching, I, I thought of the scripture, the gifts and callings are without repentance. So when you've got somebody that's in sin, but they still operate in the gifts or get miracles, even if God has departed, he leaves that gift for humanity or Am I misunderstanding that scripture? No. The scripture says in Matthew, the seventh chapter, they came to Jesus and said, Hey, have we not prophesied? Have we not done miracles? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? He never said, No, you're a bunch of liars. Okay. No, he said, Yes, you have. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's that word, I never knew you, is a real unique phase. It means everything that used to be a light between you and I have dissipated. And you are no longer my offspring. That's pretty powerful. But what happens is, look, we sometimes think the gifts and the callings are without repentance. And so what happens, people get gifts. And those gifts will function in their life because they're given to them to do so. They will do things for the kingdom of God. But what happens is those people receive their reward at that time. It creates no eternal purpose for them. It's just like a, 
Madonna, not McDonald's, but Madonna. She has a gift, evidently. Uh, She can sing. She can perform. Where did she get that? From the devil? No, absolutely not. From God. God gave her that gift, purposing that she would use it for the kingdom. But since she did not and became influenced, ruled by a demonic power, she then used that gift for the kingdom of darkness. But it still makes a way for her and provides for her life and is rewardable to her. She didn't get it from herself. She got it from God. But she doesn't use it for eternity. So she'll get her reward in the end. in sin and they're still in the ministry which I know they wouldn't be here you'd have them step down but they whatever they do their flaky stuff but the answer is right I like that answer because their personal relationship with Christ is gone yeah right and so they're just and there are there are several reasons that that leaders uh, men that operate in the gifts and men that pastor church and so forth uh, are able to be in sin and still stay in an office. One is because the church requires nothing. I hate to say this, the church really just doesn't for the majority. Now, the small minority, I commend you, but the majority of people don't much care what preachers do as long as they give a good message on Sunday morning. Now, it's, a, it's the truth. I'm, I'm just telling you. Uh, you know, people know their pastor. I had a friend. I have a, a I still have a friend. He has a, a church in Indiana. And uh, he's Baptist. But he came to me and said, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? My pastor that I work for has a girl in our church pregnant. And everybody in the church knows it. And nobody doing anything about it. And he said, and I approached another woman, and I told her, said, you know, sleeping with the pastor is going to send you to hell. And she said, listen, I've been the man of God's horde for 20 years. I'll be the man of God's horde to the day I die. Now you think, oh, my God, that's horrible. Is it any worse than condoning something else that a pastor is doing? Now, look, now I talked to him, and I said, listen, you can keep your job and keep your paycheck, or you can suck it up and become a man of God. And he become a man of God, quit that place, didn't have nothing to do, had no income for his family, went out and started a church and doing great. Is doing great. But this, I'd like to say this is one in a million, but usually not. It's one out of a million that's not doing it. And so we have to, someplace the church has to hold people accountable. It's like we see people, uh, uh, who is that guy? I, I, I hate to mention the name, but I'm, I'm uh, Clendenin or, is that his name? Clarence who? Clarence McClendon or whatever his name. You know, he gets on television, TBN, and says, you know, the Lord told me he called me to be a, a pastor and a preacher, but he never called me to be married. So I'm divorcing my wife, putting my kids away, and... Uh, you know, because God never called me to be married. Seven days later, he marries another girl. And you'd think his church would be affected. It was greatly. It grew. 
Brother Shambach, when he was on the stage, he come on stage, Brother Shambach, get up and walk off. But there were still people sending money, supporting him, supporting TBN, when they should have just called him and said, you know what, you either get him off or we'll turn you off. But see, the church doesn't care. As long as it gets its little M&M, it doesn't care. And we have got to stop it. We need to boycott Christian television when they got a bunch of whoremongering hooligan charlatans on there. When somebody tells you, hey, send me a $1,000 offering, God tells me he's going to pay a house off. Bless God, your house don't get paid off. You send a 1000 You better call whatever station it was and say, that guy lied to me. Give me my money back. And don't have that false prophet on there. This is wrong. But because the church don't say anything, next time it happens, you'll send another 